DC Stories Podcast presents. Welcome back, everyone. It's a very exciting uh, episode for you today, or entry into the archive, I guess is the better way to say it, because I had some people actually give me a ring and have some people on to talk with us, and that's because we have a very special entry this time. This is entry number four into the Story Club archive for AIC Stories. And I'm excited about this one. We had a great conversation, even though it seems like some of the technology stuff here at the cabin is a little iffy, which you'll hear a little later on. And um, we did try and record this through the online connection, but up in the Northwoods, internet connection is a little sketchy. So we make do, but the conversation about this uh, particular story we looked at was a lot of fun. Now, We decided to take a look at an Oscar-nominated film starring Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, Kirsten Dunst, Jesse Plemons, amongst others, uh, Jane Campion directed, and this is the Netflix film, The Power of the Dog. So, with no further ado, let's get into archive entry number four for the Story Club, or so Story Club, archive entry number four, The Power of the Dog. All right, so we are back. It is Story Club entry number four into the archive. And we took a little break over the the holiday times, but we're back. And Anna is joining us. She actually threw out the suggestion for the film on Netflix starring Benedict Cumberbatch, Kirsten Dunst, amongst others. And it's a film called The Power of the Dog. And so we tackled this film. And I've got a handful of people here tonight with me joining us. And we're going to talk about this film, The Power of the Dog. So why don't we go around real quick, let everyone know who's here. And then uh, then we'll just kind of jump right into this conversation. <laughs> I'm Christy. I'm Anna. Jacob. Uh-oh, did we lose Matt? All right, if you're still there, we're just going to pick up and go. And then if you need to disconnect and jump back in, I'll add you in. So we'll just do it that way. So with you guys here... Um, where I don't know. Where do you want to start with this? This was a little bit of a different film. Uh, for me, I guess just kind of initially seeing the commercials or the trailer for mm-hmm. the movie. Um, it's been a while since I've seen a Western. And honestly, it was the actors that made me want to watch it. Mm-hmm. Just because they're, you know, very popular. I've had good experience watching other things that they've been in. So at least for me, that's what drew me in to watch it. I don't know about anybody else here, what their initial attraction was to the movie. So I originally wanted to watch this movie because, first of all, I'm a huge Benedict Cumberbatch fan. I will watch him in anything. (laughs) Um, And secondly, this movie is nominated for a ton of Oscars. Um, Like Best um, Motion Picture, I think, is one of them. So... Um, yeah, I, it was, it's been on my list because of that. Yeah. I think for me, it's largely the same where I remember seeing the, the previews on Netflix when it first dropped and thinking, oh, that looks kind of interesting. I'll have to get around to that one day and kind of, I, I've been tied up and it's been a hectic few months here, but I didn't get around to watching it until you, you suggested it. And so I was happy that we got, a, you know, I, I had a reason to make sure I had to get this watch. So it was interesting. I, I guess Jacob, are you still there? Yeah, I am. Okay. <laughs> what? What? Uh, I know you said you watched this months ago when it first dropped. So, yep. what was it that grabbed your attention when you first saw it that made you click play right away? I would say uh, a mixture of of uh, the actors involved. Um, you know, big fan of Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, becoming more of a plan- fan of Jesse Plemons. He's like one of the most unsettling actors. There's something about him. <laughs> is he the kid? Um, say what? Is he the He's kid? George, right? He's yeah. George. George. Oh, George. Okay. Yeah, he, okay. He came on the scene um, with an episode. Uh, he was a character towards the tail end of Breaking Bad. Um, yes. And he's been in a bunch of stuff since then. And he's like, there's just something about him that's, uh, he can be really unsettling. Uh, yeah. But also um, Jane Campion, the director, who's mm-hmm. uh, has a, a, a really solid um, 
history. So, I mean, going back to the piano and stuff like that. I saw that when I was a kid. So, sure. Um, but yeah, um, and it may, it may have been also that I just basically watch whatever Netflix tells me to watch. <laughs> You're a slave to it. Yeah, <laughs> I, and I I was today years old when I realized this this story is actually based on a book of the same name. Um, from back in 1967, there was a novel with the same name, The Power of the Dog, put out by an author named Thomas Savage. So I, I didn't know that, but uh, kind of interesting that the story we, we have in this film is actually one based around a book as well from many, many years ago. So I, I guess, Matt, what, uh, what drew you to this film? Uh, kind of the same thing as everyone else, really. It's uh, hard to turn down a Benedict Cumberbatch film, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, just, just from the previews, it was very, very interesting. He was going to be, I don't want to say completely out of his element, but in something almost completely different than we've ever seen him in. Right. Um, I had to kind of twist my wife's arm to, to, to get into it or to at least get her come around and watch it with me anyway yeah uh and it was because it you know if you watch the preview you kind of think you know what you're going to get into but you're not entirely sure and Mm -hmm. it really was not at all what we thought it was going to be so that for by the end of it it was uh definitely we were glad we watched it for sure right I, I guess I was thinking about it as we've all kind of talked what brought us into it. I never even mentioned, for those that may not know, what the kind of mm, elevator pitch you know type synopsis is. And according to IMDb, they keep it pretty short. It's uh, charismatic rancher Phil Burbank, who is Benedict Cumberbatch's character, inspires fear and awe in those around him when his brother brings home a new wife and her son, which he's an adult son, basically. Let's Let's make that clear, but... Uh, Phil torments them until he finds himself exposed to the possibility of love. So, not much to go on from the description. And, you know, it's it's really was kind of a... Uh, the trailer gives you much more of an idea what you might be in for, but I have well, to say... Go ahead, go ahead. I'll say I feel like that's simultaneously the most accurate and least as- accurate description that you could give for the movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. It, it's so bizarre because I, I caught this at a time where I'm uh, working through this uh, journey, I guess, with with five John Steinbeck novels, um, <sighs> starting with uh, The Grapes of Wrath and then into a novel called The Moon is Down, then Cannery Row. I've got those three done right now. I'm working on East of Eden and then finishing with Of Mice and Men. And watching this film, for me... The, the general feeling I had up until about the last, I don't know, 20 minutes, half hour, which we'll get to that ending. And, and listeners, if you're listening, be aware there will be spoilers happening here. Um, but this film so much felt like a visual Steinbeck novel. And I know his a lot of his books have been brought into film and things like that. But this just had that feeling of like, there's really, I mean, there's a plot, but kind of not really it just jumps into this slice of life and you don't really know where it's headed at first what did you guys think i think uh this one it was more about the setting and just the fact that there was interactions with these people so it was less about what was said and the fact that they were interacting in this dynamic Mm -hmm. um it's almost like a it could be like a a dance or something where it's you don't actually need any the specific words it was just the the emotion and interactions uh and then on top of that just the the cinematography the setting and that Mm. soundtrack uh all it was more of a a mood than a than a story really right that makes sense yeah i completely agree with that um there was a lot that you could learn just from like the body language of the characters and the facial expressions more so than like what they were saying to each other and the music, I feel like, played a lot into kind of what was going on. Very much so. Yeah, it was visually pretty stunning. Very seldom will I watch a movie and be like, oh my god, this cinematography is amazing. But 
this was a movie that I was like, oh my God, this cinematography. Is I mean, it's just something that never or hardly ever jumps out at me. And this one really did it. It had some beautiful landscape. I'm just looking up to see where this was filmed. I believe they filmed in New Zealand somewhere. Yeah. The South Island in New Zealand. Which is crazy because it, I mean, it truly does have the feel of kind of the lower foothills in, in, you know, the Rockies in, in Montana and the Western edges over there. It's, I don't know. It was just stunning landscape after stunning landscape and the, the way it was shot, the color, everything. And Well, guys, I'm sorry to interrupt right here, but this is the area where we had some real audio difficulties. Something happened to the recording and we talked for, oh, I don't know, tw another 20 minutes and the recording had stopped without any of us realizing it. Can't rely on this technology. But anyways, we're going to jump back in here in one second. Just kind of picking up, if you hear a little bit of rehashing, it's because we did go back in and try and cover some of the ground, but since we didn't know exactly where anything had cut, we kind of just picked a point and jumped in. So bear with us. Let's get back to the conversation. Okay, gotta love the technology here in the cabin. I guess there's some things we've got to work out still. But anyways, we were just talking about how this film is beautiful in terms of location and cinematography and everything else. And what happened when the recording stopped and we had to jump back in here is Anna was just making an excellent point about the music in this film and, and kind of the power that it brings. So Anna... I'm going to throw it back to you. Why don't you kind of fill us in again on your thoughts on the music and, and you guys jump in after that. Yeah. So I was saying that um, the music um, kind of plays a role in, in how the story is um, told, I guess. Um, like, like you can, you can tell what's going on, not by so much by words, but like the music, like, you know, if it gets tense or, um, you know, if it's more soothing. Very much so. It's, it's, I, I, for, I know I had mentioned before it, it, it plays a character in itself and, and I know Matt and Jacob, you guys had some thoughts on, on how that pulled through there as well. I think, uh, Johnny Greenwood, uh, who was responsible for the, the music in this one, he's a member of Radiohead, so he's got a pretty extensive CV. Um, I think the, the easy choice for the conventional choice with a lot of Westerns, uh, neo-Westerns, anything with this kind of like sweeping landscape type thing is to do big orchestral string music. And I think his choice to go a different direction um, to use some of the horns, the discordant sounds. And I, I think it added a lot of um, atmosphere and tension. Um, like it, it, it definitely heightened the unsettling feeling. Uh, and some of the the various characters, the way that they interacted with each other, the the music definitely poured on that tension uh, and met, and added to the the mood of the whole thing. Very much. So. Yeah, exactly. I think I think you kind of you almost hit it on the head there. It's it instead of instead of playing to the playing, uh, no pun intended, <laughs> but. Um, Instead of you know trying to highlight and, and bring the bring the ambiance to to everyone, and obviously you can see it with your eyes that this is just a grand landscape. Well, we better have a uh, you know a score that supports that. Instead of doing that, which has been done you know, multiple times and all over the place, and he actually used it to highlight what was happening within the individual character. So it was more of a Third-person, omniscient kind of. Uh, here's what they're thinking, and here's really what they're feeling, and it does drive the tension, and it does drive the story. Uh, but yeah, it's, and maybe I just 
didn't pay attention in the beginning to pick up that it was that they did have those large, grand, uh, sweeping, uh, sweeping sounds so much. But I, you notice it, notice it when all of a sudden everyone starts to, I don't want to say fall apart, but their characters have slowly been, you know, marching down this different road. And you know that they're feeling things, and that mm-hmm. that music definitely plays right into it. Again, no pun intended. <laughs> Well, uh, you, you, go ahead. Go ahead. I was sad. I'd read somewhere that, like, even the the part where some of the the banjo parts, he actually, uh, I may be getting this wrong, um, but like some of that's not actually banjo. It was dubbed in with like a he did it with a cello, so that oh. the sound that you're hearing isn't quite what you expect to hear. Um, so even stuff like that would add a a, a, a feeling of discordant or uh, or. or Unease tension. Yeah. Was that when that, he was playing underneath the piano? When Rose was playing the piano? Possibly. Like I said, I've, I've, I'd, I just had read somewhere that there was some uh, some playing around with that and, and, and bringing in like a, an unusual way of playing the cello for some uh, some of the parts. So. Well, I, I want to get into the characters here in a second, but you, you mentioned that scene with, with Rose and Phil, kind of their dueling music as she's struggling to play the piano. She hasn't played in some time. Maybe she was never really that good. And Phil is just showing her up in the other room like, look, it's not that hard. Just play the thing already. I'm sick of listening to you practice. That scene was one of those moments in this film, among many, where I thought, holy cow, this guy is ruthless what what did you guys take away from that scene yourself i think it just built on the fact or on the the opinion that he was just a bully that's you know that's kind of what got us into that's what brought us into the movie to begin with was we wanted to see what was going to happen um you know with this strong personality and how he was i hope it wasn't you know he wasn't going to terrorize uh, you know, a new mother, or a new wife, and and her son, but definitely started going down that path as well. His defense mechanism. I mean, I think he's he's just a, a like you said, a bully because he doesn't want to get close to people. I mean, like, um, you know, we know he had a a special relationship with his mentor, a special relationship to some extent. Um, which especially during that time, um, he could, he probably was tormented himself, whether it was when he was away to school or, you know, really from anybody that, so he needed to protect himself. So his defense mechanism might've been, he's just a, a butt to everyone. Well, more, I mean, he's just a real jerk to everybody because he wants to stay. He doesn't want anyone to get close to him. There was, there was a part of me and this may sound extremely terrible (laughs) as a reflection on myself. When I was watching that scene as ruthless as he was. And I thought, wow, this guy is really going all in on the bullying. There was also a part of me that was like, as a musician, someone who has, tried and and taught people over the years a little bit to to play the same instrument I do and and there's a part of me that almost felt like yeah I understand his frustration though because I can just play this and almost like is he trying to help her maybe like look just relax it's this easy just you know there was a part of me that almost was like uh, maybe he's not bullying but I don't know and then I was like no he's he's got to be just being a, a jerk and then I kind of thought, like, oh, man, that's what does that say about me if <laughs> if I was going, <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe it's not too bad. I don't know. I would have probably done the same thing. <laughs> you sided with the bully. That, that does say a lot about you. I, I, I thought, oh, man, maybe he's just sick of hearing it. And at the same time, maybe he's just like, because I know there have been times in, in a music setting where sometimes you get so focused and hung up on a specific section of the music 
and it takes someone else jumping in and saying, look, just relax, play along with me, have fun, we'll, we'll play together, you know, one of those kind of things to break free of it. But it, it became clear that she she definitely didn't take it that way. <laughs> I, I think if he wanted to help, he would have come out of the room, stood at the top of the stairs, maybe sauntered down the stairs trying to, you know, ease her into it and try to calm her nerves. But no, he's standing in the shadows. Yeah, finishing it for her. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's let's get into the characters and talk real quickly. I know we have already covered this for for anyone listening. Uh, if it sounds like we're skimming over some of these character things, it's because we had this chat already for like twenty minutes and didn't realize the recording stuff had stopped. So we're gonna blast through the characters, uh, the main characters: Phil, George, Rose, and Peter. So who wants to start? Who wants to take? take phil i think uh bill was a uh, benedict cumberbatch was seemed to be a weird choice for phil until you get to the end of the movie and then he made his he both his casting him and his choices in as an actor made a whole lot of sense and like this idea of this performative masculinity uh this coping mechanism the way that he was over the top through most of the movie made so much sense. Once you understood the character fully, um, I think it, it, it made him a really interesting character um, that you didn't realize was really interesting until almost when the movie's done. I agree. I think that was, that was the note that I took away from the most you know, through that first half was it felt like he was trying too hard. It felt like maybe this wasn't the greatest casting job because he's just not a good cowboy. He's trying to lean into more stereotypes and other, you know, other things. He's always smoking. He's got these weedy little, you know, Westernisms and really may not have made much sense. And, but it, it felt like he was just trying too hard. And then, like you said, mm-hmm. Right at the end, you're like, okay, got it. Making more sense now. Right. Yeah, he, I, I remember reading something about this when you, when you mentioned he's, you know, his stereotypes, he's always smoking and stuff. And that's one thing I, I did notice in this. And I remember reading about it. He was actually pretty sick through the filming of this because he went all in like, uh, was the other actor that's known for that daniel day lewis and, and some of those where he was all in on this character and he wouldn't let them use like the whatever they use in hollywood that's not a real cigarette that like he was smoking like crazy during the filming of this enough to the point where i believe it said he had an interview where he was he was pretty sick from it because he doesn't normally but it, it was when you say that that's something yeah it didn't even pop up when we talked about it before but trying too hard in comparison with what's to come with his character. That's a great way to put it. I think. I think it's, um, Oh, I say it. I think it's interesting between the brothers, how I think Chrissy said earlier about how different they were, where Mm -hmm. Phil is more of like the rough and tumble kind of guy. You know, he does all the, the outdoor ranching parts and, um, George is more of the gentler. He takes care of maybe more of the like financial side of running a ranch as opposed to like being out working the cattle every day. Um, so just like they're very different in in their, uh, yeah, for being brothers, they're very different. Right. Well, and that brings us to where, where I was going to head next if we were kind of done with a snapshot of Phil for now. George, the brother, is super quiet. Kind of, does he feel sneaky to anyone else? I I don't mean like shady, but he's so quiet and kind of shifty. I don't know. It just is a weird vibe I got from him. He's just really accommodating. Yeah. He's going to do whatever he needs to do for the other people. So I think even like with Phil, he's grown his entire life in the shadow of Phil, but yet also having to kind of probably cover for him or pick up the pieces or whatever the case may be. And so then with Rose, as things kind of deteriorate with her and 
and even de dealing with Peter. I mean, I think he's just used to having to, you know, take care of everybody, but in the shadows and then also just put up with it, you know, because yeah. as much of a jerk as Phil is, you know, having his, the, the cattle hands, you know, laugh and joke and, and make fun of George too. I mean, George is, I just, I just felt bad for him, but that's, you know, I think he's just very accommodating to his own detriment. Yeah. I think he's more of a, a peacekeeper as opposed to taking any like confrontation. He, he feels a little clueless also. And, and he's got a streak in him though. And I'm thinking particularly when he gets the piano for Rose, makes her play in front of these people, his parents and the people from the college or was it a governor? Um, it was the, the, oh, the gov governor. governor. Yeah. yeah, the governor. And and she's like, anything she can do to try and beg out of it. And he, he throws her to the wolves and makes her do it. And she's humiliated. And he seems oblivious to the fact that she's turning to the, the booze so hard. And just, you know, lets it happen. But then he's got that streak in him, too, where he's going to, you know, trot her out there and make her perform, even though he knows it's going to humiliate her. It was it was kind of interesting. That was one of the only times you see him be, I, mean, I think he's still trying to be accommodating, but he also had a little bit of that streak like Phil in him where he just was going to have his way. No, no, go do it. Go do it. You know, you're fine. Well, and as his his wife, he probably saw her as an extension of himself. Yeah. So she, you know, he felt that her responsibility is, especially in that day and time, you know, I mean, she, she wouldn't have been so much considered an individual as much as his wife. Right. So her function was to provide whatever he needed, whether it's, you know playing for the group whenever they come on, come to visit or, you know, be the hostess of the activities or whatever. So I, I think he just saw her as that, that was her role. And since that was his role, that was her role now too. Yeah. That's a good point. So let's, let's talk about, unless there's anything else on George, let's talk about Rose real quick. She, for me was a, a, a very, Oh, kind of a difficult character um, in the sense where she's not given a lot to do in terms of she's not a I mean, she's a, a big part of the story, but she's not like the star. But yet when she's on screen, that role I, I thought was incredibly powerful. And in, in the way she portrayed a woman, um, you know, that was spiraling into alcoholism just the mannerisms and, and the way she talked and fidgeted or whatever it might be it reminded me what was the movie i think it was emily blunt um she played an alcoholic woman as well uh was it the woman on the train or the wo woman in the window it was a recent movie i forget but yeah, she the was woman on the train yeah was she was uh, i don't remember who played opposite her but it was yeah, her it, word against everyone else, basically, and no one took her seriously because, yeah, she was an alcoholic, I believe. Right, and that that film, her her character in that film was one of the first. Uh, I shouldn't say first, but one of the the best examples I've seen of of someone truly suffering from from alcoholism. You know, way way down that path, and. Rose in this film very much captures that as well. It wasn't cartoony. It wasn't over the top. I mean, that scene when she's in the alley sneaking booze that she's hidden and Phil is up in, in his bedroom or whatever it is and hears her out there and he just starts messing with her, whistling that same tune from the piano and she doesn't know where it's coming from. And that was just chilling. The fact that her son basically knew what was happening as well. I mean, she... Uh, obviously, I think a, an alcoholic thinks they're getting away with it, but when it comes down to it, and it's without the degree at which it ended up, I mean, this was over the course of a summer, you know, mm -hmm. and maybe it's just because there wasn't a whole lot for her to do. I mean, she found herself down in the kitchen, just trying to be trying to be near people. I don't want to say born in, in her speed or like her or whatever, but that's where she felt comfortable. That's where she mm -hmm. felt safe. 
you know, she was introduced into these new worlds. That wasn't her. Right. Well, that and that's where we meet her in this film. She's in the kitchen. You know, she is that um, behind-the-scenes kind of personality, it seems like. And, and sh- suddenly she's thrust into the spotlight and she's not comfortable there at all. It doesn't help Phil is a raging <laughs> a-hole to her. <laughs> but that brings us then, I guess, if there's nothing else on Rose, to the devious little Peter. What do you guys think about this character? I thought he was um, an interesting character. Um you know, because you, you think you understand him, and then by the end, you're like, I maybe I don't understand him at all. You know, so you, you think he's he's one thing, but then by the end, he's something completely different. Yeah. I, I have to say, in this film, and I, we're, we're going to spoil it. In case the spoiler warning got cut earlier, be warned, I'm going to spoil it right now. But that ending... When we get that sequence where he gives him the rawhide that he knows is tainted and he sees an opportunity and just with this cold calculating just lures him in, never gives him an inkling of a hint at what's happening and just in cold blood just murders Phil. That to me made this entire film. That was absolutely yeah, that that last sequence was what turned this from a, a you know mediocre rating for me into absolutely okay. Wow, that was a dark ending, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Agreed. for me, I didn't even really see it coming until until the end. I was like, oh, everything was planned for this ending. But you don't see it until you until you're you're you know done. Yeah, I mean, the whole film, I looked at him as uh, this kind of weird little you know goofball of a kid. He's gangly. He's I don't know what what his deal is. Is he you know are, are they portraying him to be maybe like autistic or something? But I don't know what his deal is. And I knew you know going in a little bit. Uh, to this film without having seen too much there's a lot of talk about this like you were saying Anna as an Oscar nominated film and a lot of that was in part because it's going to you know they said the film touches on um, issues with the the LGBTQ community and and represents a, a time with that and everything else and going into it the first little while before we really get into Phil's story I thought for sure it was going to be him, that this kid is the one that was hiding his secret and Phil was going to find out. And I thought that's the direction this film was going to go. And it it absolutely didn't. It went a totally different direction. And quite frankly, that ending veered straight into horror territory. And that final scene at the window. Yeah, when he like when he like turns around and like has the like smile smirk, you're like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) He yeah. knew the whole time what he was doing. Yeah. All I could think was it, it's dark outside. They're kind of, it, it felt like a crime noir film almost. Yes. Where they're outside. He's seeing them like kissing and they, they, they pause in this weird way. Like action's still happening. He's still turning, but they're frozen out there. And it was such a cool shot. And I thought, all right, now the next film, let's see the further killings of this lunatic that's just been unleashed on the world <laughs> right it kind of reminded me of like you know at the end of psycho when when you yes. realize what was going on the whole time and then your mind is just blown that's kind of how it felt for me mm-hmm. i'm gonna say between that's a good that's a good poll as well but i was gonna say the usual suspects where all of a sudden all this stuff oh, kind of yeah. comes to a head and you're like, oh no, oh no. Yeah. Here's what's gonna happen, and then, boom, done. In you know the last, yeah. Well, in that in that film anyway, it's the last whatever minute and a half, two minutes. Yeah, this yeah. This one was a little longer, but still, you got that same feeling. That that was one of the reasons I wanted to watch it again, just to see, you know, exactly how far did he plan out all this mm-hmm. you know, protective 
protectiveness, you know, for his mother. And then what you just said right the couple couple seconds ago, is he gonna kill George next? Right. I don't know. Well, and- <laughs> I hadn't thought that far down the road yet. I don't think I don't think we uh, I don't think there's that risk as much because like at the beginning of the movie where he says or he re- I don't remember how exactly it was, but uh, the line was something along the line of if I didn't take care of my mother, what kind of man would I be? Mm-hmm. So I think he's OK with George because he sees the uh, he sees George as a positive for his mother. You know, Phil was just a negative. Phil mm. was the reason she was, you know, spiraling into her her drinking and her stress and her, you know, all of it seems like all the problems that she was having because she didn't even drink until she was there on the ranch. Right. Um, so I think that's why, you know, Phil had the target on his back. And the line or the conversation that really jumped out at me was kind of midway through when I think it was Phil and Peter were talking. Peter was talking about himself and he said, Paul worried about me that I was too, I was too strong. Yeah. And, and Phil kind of like blew it off. Like, like you're some kind of wimpiness. Right. But I think that's where Phil wasn't. Phil was clueless when it came to Peter. He saw the exterior, the gangliness, the discoordination, mm-hmm. the the you know inability to 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 do the physical things, which would be Phil's definition of strength. Mm-hmm. But strength or being strong or or you know th- there's a lot of different ways of looking at it, and um, so you know Peter's dad's probably not wrong because you know. Peter was going to do whatever he had to do to protect his mother. And he did. Well, so that brings up another question that my wife and I were talking about. Did Peter kill his first father? Mm. He said (laughs) he was a doctor, yet he hung himself. Now, I don't know. Obviously, we don't know the backstory or anything, but I thought there was another throwaway line, not a throwaway line, but I thought there was something else in there that said she actually started drinking near the end, or maybe he uh, he started drinking near the end of his life and was Peter do something to him and because he was the yeah. only one that found him. Or he said he cut him down, so... Right. Yeah, there was a line about... Yeah, something about Rose having issues when, like, she was still married before their before his dad died. Yep. There, oh. yeah, there was some kind of an issue with Rose, but I don't remember specifically what it was. They didn't really get into it, and that's why it kind of just slides by. And you're like, oh, okay, sure, she's got a little bit of something in her that leads you towards uh, enjoying booze a little bit, but maybe not yeah. as much. But, yeah. Hmm. yeah, I the the thing with Peter is I, I only watched it the one time, but I'm I'm sitting here thinking back and early on even they give you hints of his darkness in the the scene that really jumps out or you know is probably midway point of the film when he catches the rabbit. Mm-hmm. And you know, oh, he's yeah. like, he's like, oh, he sets his trap and he comes in. Oh, I caught a rabbit. And then the the other cook lady or whatever, she's she's all excited to go give him a carrot. And he's like, nah, get out of here. But the way he's dragging that rabbit, I'm like, that rabbit's not a pet. Like, he's got it in this burlap sack. He's just banging it along the ground. He don't care about that rabbit. And then when they cut to him just, you know, pulling parts out and he's drawing in his sketchbook, you know, learning and. And then Phil sees that, I think, also when after they talk about him being too strong, you know, his dad worried he was too strong. That rabbit gets injured in the woodpile towards the end. And he, he gives it to Peter at thinking the kid won't do anything about it. And he just, then it's done. He's like, oh, okay then. <laughs> and I think there was this, it's unfortunate because I think in those last moments leading up to the, the grand finale, so to speak, 
Peter had finally won over Phil and probably could have resolved this whole thing without killing him because I think Phil kind of realized a kindred spirit in some way. Yeah. Definitely could have been, had it not turned dark like it did. Um, I, I think the, the road could have, uh, their path could have gone in a little better direction. Yeah. But man, I'm, I'm so glad it went dark. I mean, yeah, me, I'm, too. I'm, oh, me too. Me too. <laughs> I, I'm, I don't know. I, I find more and more like I've always loved horror stories and dark fiction and maybe I'm a weirdo, but I just, I love it when we can find ways to, you know, really enjoy a story that taps into that real darkness and in, in a, in a very honestly humane way also where you can totally relate to it because he's just trying to protect his mom unless he's a psychopath that ends up being, you know, essentially this country's version of Jack the Ripper or something. But I just, I just love those kinds of stories too much. I, I think I'm weird. <laughs> I enjoy them too. <laughs> I'm not alone. Yes. So what else? I know we've kind of skipped around the film quite a bit. We know, I, I guess we, we haven't talked about it here. We talked about it. I think a little bit before the recording went, um, Phil's story arc where, you know, he's putting on this tough display, but his secret is, you know, they don't ever come right out and say it, but it's pretty heavily implied that he's, um, you know, closeted homosexual in a time, in an era, in a place where that would be extremely difficult to deal with if anyone found out. And, of course, Peter finds out because he's sne- uh, l- That's a question I have for you guys. Phil has this little secret place he goes swimming and bathing in. Now, he rides his horse to that place on more than one occasion. But yet, half the time when we see him go there, he's got to crawl through some weird wooden fort he's made. And then through this wooden tunnel. And then come out the other side when he could probably just ride his horse around the whole thing. Anyone else find that weird? Yeah. <laughs> I mean... I don't know. I thought it was, I thought it was just a little bizarre. Like, why is he crawling through this tunnel? I don't know. I thought maybe it was super isolated, but then later in the film you see his horse there with his clothes. I thought, well, that horse didn't go through there, so. But just yeah, part that- of his Phil Phil wants to feel like that is his oasis. Mm-hmm. So, even though he can't really you know put it up as a you know tent the whole place he's going to create some sort of like secret garden type entrance even though that's you know I I think it's more for his own personal um, just so he feels like it's more private than it is probably yeah that makes sense I, I will say this the scene where he pulls that kind of silk scarf out of his crotch and then begins to bathe with it, essentially rubbing it all over himself. All I could think was, man, he wasn't kidding when he said he couldn't come to dinner because he stunk. Because (laughs) all I could think was that cloth has been riding in his crotch of his chaps all who knows how long while he's out here chasing cattle doing all this and now he's rubbing it all over himself this man has to be just vile smelling so when we look at this film i guess uh, what any any other thoughts uh before we we kind of wrap it up and get out of here on it yeah i think they did a real good job with uh you know costumes and kind of all that Mm. all the kind of stuff that just builds that you know creates these world obviously uh, the one thing that i it, it took me obviously two viewings to catch it but when they were when uh peter and phil were sitting there talking next to that giant hay mound mm-hmm. one had a black hat and one had a white hat and it took me until then to realize you know that stupid uh stupid trope of good guys wear black or, you know <laughs> good guys wear white yeah. hats and the bad guys wear black hats 
And Phil, Phil did always have the darker hat. And so you kind of were led down that road of, all right, well, he's clearly going to be the one who's mm. do something nefarious anyway. Does that Phil make the Peter end. the hero? I think to, to himself, he would consider himself a hero for saving his mom. That's, yeah. Sure, Interesting. Yeah, I never even caught that till you just said that. So <laughs> interesting. Who the else has thing some that thoughts? Really made me giggle was the when they were uh, when he was uh, sorry when Rose was picking up here from school to come out to the mm -hmm. to the ranch. They stopped and got him probably some duds and you know probably oh, yeah. and whatnot. Did you notice that he picked up a pair of Chuck Taylor basketball shoes? What? I did, I did not. The, the the ones that he grabbed were the yeah were Converse high yeah. top, high top tailored. I did not. I, I knew he wasn't wearing them, but yeah, he he did pick them up off the shelf to kind of look at. I knew mm -hmm. he was wearing some white footwear of some sort at, when they were he was riding on that trailer, you know, or the wagon. I think they were I mean, legitimately tennis shoes. For yeah. Tennis, but yeah, I, I remember the way. I didn't catch the the other one though. I'll have to I'll have to give that a look. That's awesome. Good catch. This during the time period where which I feel is very bizarre. It's kind of the cross between the old west where they're you know riding horses and all you know the western life, mm -hmm. and then whenever cars come into the picture and just a whole different lifestyle. So these are, these are those, that time period I find just to be so bizarre. Mm. And I know like now we look at the life that we live in and the advancements in the last 20 years with technology and stuff. But, you know, I think back to then and I bet it was as much of a, you know, just a, just like whiplash, just seeing how fast things are changing yeah. Back then also, because going from, you know, going hor from horseback to riding in a car. I mean, that's just light years difference. I actually and had that same the thought, too. I, I wrote down Old Western meets the jazz age because like ah. in the beginning when they're in when they're in Rose's like establishment, those those women are like in flapper outfits, like yeah. dancing. And then you've got all these like ranch hands who are very much the western mm -hmm. and so it's just kind of that interesting and also with like the piano and the banjo like I, I would consider a banjo a very old western instrument whereas a piano would be considered something more austere and and something you would see in a dance hall that's a mm -hmm. great observation just to build off of what Christy was saying yeah the, the house seemed out of place for how grandiose it was. It, you know, had a furnace. It had a hot water heater. It had a fountain in the front yard. Why? Right. Was that there to impress? Your neighbors were probably not within 20 miles if you're lucky. Yeah, I... That That is a... I, I'm, as you guys mentioned this, I guess I didn't really think about it too much because so much of this film feels like it's from a much older time mm -hmm. but you're right there is those moments even I remember when they talked about Phil being Yale or, or whatever prestigious school educated I thought now wait a minute that's not that's not as far back as what I thought this was you know and then the car and in you know all of these other touches and that's yeah I guess I never thought of that but it kind of puts everything in a in a whole different light where You've got two, I guess, colliding societies at that point. Jacob, what do you have for us as as some kind of final thoughts on it? Oh, I think it was a, um, I think it was an interesting uh, new chapter in this the, the kind of neo western. That, like for me, it kind of started with um, um, the one that kind of first hit me was the Unforgiven. Uh, by Clint Eastwood, mm. and this—that's yep. a good one. This, this move to a, a uh, 
a more realistic um, Western, like it'll move away from the the classic westerns of the John Wayne era, mm-hmm. and you had the the next phase with your your Clint Eastwood style, or mm-hmm. your early Clint Eastwood stuff, and then going into your your neo westerns uh, with some, something like The Unforgiven, and then mm-hmm. um, like you know Meeks Meeks cut it off, and, and and some of the more modern ones that the are a, a new look at uh, what a western means. We've yeah. kind of gotten away from the um the John Wayne idea of what the Wild West was. And I think they're really starting to explore um, the realities of the West. I think you're going to see more movies. Uh, like there was a recent one. Um, oh, the name escapes me, but it was um, came out on Netflix not too long ago. And it was um, a Western. All the, all the main characters were uh, uh, African-American. Um, and uh, it was a really interesting, like stylistic look at the, um, the Western genre, but I mean, honestly, probably more accurate of like the the racial makeup of the Wild West than the John Wayne movie was, you know. Um, so, and then this idea of of sexuality in the Wild West, um, I think, was again, it's it's something that was there, and this is very much accurate, but we've just not explored it because it's it's been you know taboo to talk about. Was was that other film on Netflix you were talking about? Was that the one uh, called "The Harder They Fall"? Yeah, I believe so. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's, that was a good movie as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's super stylized and over the top, but also uh, a really interesting look at the at the genre. Um, mm-hmm. And again, like I was saying, you know, it was the fact is that like you know you would think by watching westerns and growing up the way I did, you would think that it was basically the wild west was ba- pretty much all white and right. it was almost the reverse you know it was the really um high representation of uh color in the in and i think that modern filmmakers are starting to write that story and, and mm-hmm. change things and also the idea of um you know queerness in that culture yeah and i think it was a very real thing and i think they're starting to write that story which is uh uh, is interesting. I um, also noted that, like, um, there was a lot of like uh, ideas about what masculinity is, because Peter isn't what what one would consider super masculine or manly, but he was in a way, you know, he was still protecting his mother which would be you know something a man would do mm-hmm. and then you have Phil who is like the super tough like masculine guy but also most likely uh, homosexual so there was kind of that interesting like what what would you consider masculinity mm. you know and you know being in like the western ranching culture yeah yeah, the, the film does definitely, I don't want to say expose, but like bring to light a lot of a lot of topics that I think a lot of people won't associate with that genre, that era, and, you know, really, really tackles a lot of some pretty heavy subject matter wrapped around this ultimately pretty, you know, I don't want to say bizarre story, but... It, it kind of just meanders for so long until that ending ties it all together and it gets so dark. And really, as as much as that's the, you know, the feature, I guess you could say that the primary storyline, this film is full of questions and things to think about from those other aspects that you guys were just talking about. It's, it's pretty fascinating. So I, I lost track. Was anyone else, any, anyone else have uh, any, any final thoughts on the film before... Uh, we kind of wrap it up. I guess if we want to give it a rating, we can. Uh, if not, we can leave it with without the star ratings on it either way. But I'll give it five stars for being dark and twisty. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I think for me, it it drug on too long. Um, 
through the middle. So, and maybe that's just the preference of the type of movies that I prefer because, uh, honestly, I will fall asleep during most movies. That's just <laughs> that. That's just how it is or TV shows or anything. Once right. I sit down on the couch, good luck getting me through an entire movie or television show. Uh, but I was literally taking notes because I wanted to make sure that I, you know, didn't miss things as I was going through. And there were times that I was just like, I'm having to really work to stay awake because, and I know the cinematography was beautiful and the music was beautiful and the actors did a beautiful job on their, um, on their parts. But for me personally, I just feel like, it just drug on so long through that middle section that I was just like, okay, we need to wrap this up and get this <laughs> wherever we're going. We need to get there and get it going. But right. uh, you know, th- at, at least for me, that was the case. My second viewing, we... I did hit the fast forward button a couple of times for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Not gonna lie, Christy, where would you uh, where would you leave it as far as a rating if you have one? Um, two and a half, maybe, because okay. this is not a movie. It's not a movie I'll watch again. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a movie I would recommend. I'm glad I watched it. I always enjoy these conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, I appreciate the actors in pretty much everything that they've done. And, um, like Jacob said, uh, George, the actor that played George he is he's one of all the actors or actresses in the show um he's the one that if i see in him in another movie that's the one i'm going to watch before um the other actors just because he is he is peculiar as all get out in everything and i i like that it was the mustache right you can you can say it <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Anna, how about you? Um, yeah, I'd probably say a five. Um, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Um, I mean, it was a little slow, but for me, I, I'm used to watching a lot of like Oscar-nominated movies, and that's, that's kind of a, a part of it. You know, they're, more, they're a lot more subtle mm-hmm. in, um, in their themes. And so they're they're a little more slower in general. A lot of them are, but I I enjoy those kind of movies. I like the ones that make me really think about certain topics. Yeah. And I thought this one did that. And then the end was just incredible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What this movie you said something there that made me think of something. It feels like it. It, it just feels like an Oscar movie. It feels right. like it was it was tailor made. Yes, that. they were. They made this movie to be an Oscar contender. Right. Yeah. Which you know, for Netflix, that's smart of them. It brings some, you know, whether whether a person is a fan of the Oscars or not, if they if you believe they stand for anything anymore or not. I know there's a lot of uh, a lot of talk about that right now. There is a lot of controversy around them. Yeah, but smart move by Netflix to make a play which could, you know, if if it brings home some hardware. I mean, as if they weren't already credible, but that brings another level of credibility to your your original programming to be able to pull home Oscars like that. So, yeah, I agree, especially with that that cast. Mm, very much so. I mean, Benedict Cumberbatch, as good as he is as Doctor Strange, he's never going to win an Oscar for that. So, no, no, yeah, you know, it's <laughs> just what it is, what it is. So, this is a great opportunity for that. I think, uh, Jacob, did we? Get your thoughts as far as the final. I think I looked at my letter. I was looking at my letterbox the second ago. Oh. It's a, their autoplay ads, which I hate. Oh, um, that's what we heard. Yeah. Um, the um, I think my rating on there was four stars. Um, I think it was. Um, this was like you know, there's the. I think you can get re- pretentious really quick, but there's there's a difference between movies and films yeah um and i feel like this was a film i think yeah. champion makes films um i think um it uh you know maybe not the the thing that i just want to sit down with a bag of popcorn and, and chill 
mm-hmm. but definitely um, glad I watched it. Um, it. It's nice to see um, somebody who's in complete control of their art mm. going out of the way to make art. And, and that's what I feel like it was. It was There was a lot of uh, intelligent choices. Um, I saw one criticism of it that I can almost agree with was that it was too well directed if that makes any sense <laughs> yes it, it 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 felt it was so well crafted that it lost a little bit of the maybe the spontaneity or a little bit of the like that it felt a little bit too neat and tidy you know yeah too polished so maybe but i mean if you know i can't think of a better criticism for a director to get you know right you were, you were yeah too, your job so like i think it was uh yeah it uh, I, I understand why it's a definite contender for the oscars i think it was definitely worth it for sure so. well i i kind of fall more towards christy on this one the first well up until that ending sequence this movie for me it wasn't bad I was feeling like it was about a two-star film, though, because it just meandered around, and I was like, okay. It felt, like I said earlier, I can't remember if it was before or after the recording stopped, but it felt like a Steinbeck novel um, in the modern day, you know, watching it in, in, in cinema. And that's not a bad thing, but it, it was kind of like, okay, the, the first two-thirds of this movie are a little more. I was watching, I was following, and I still was not sure what I was watching. And then that final sequence comes in and I loved the ending so much. It made this film worth it. And I ended up on my letterbox. I look, I gave it a three and a half. Um, I, I could, I could easily be persuaded to push that to maybe a four, but I think three and a half for me, because it did meander so much that it, it took its time getting there. And I don't mind that sometimes, but this one, I, I just, until that ending had it not, made that dark turn this would have easily been a two-star rating for me probably so but at the end three and a half that's still i mean i enjoyed it so and i I think you definitely hit the nail on the head with like i think that the first two acts or whatever Mm -hmm. were just stage setting for the last act right yes i agree with that just to set the mood it wasn't about the plot it was to set the they were just setting the stage and the last bit was the 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 movie itself, the plot, you know? Right. I, I Anyone else going to go check out this book from 1967? I was thinking about it, actually. My list isn't as big as yours of stuff I need to read, so I'm always interested. Oh, it's, it's absurd right now. <laughs> <laughs> if you guys do check out the book, I'd be curious to, uh, to, to hear what you guys think about it, so shoot us a message in the Discord if you pick it up and get into it, so... Well, I think unless anyone has any other other final thoughts uh, on it, I think that's going to do it for The Power of the Dog, the Netflix original starring Benedict Cumberbatch, Kirsten Dunst. Was it Jesse Plemons? Yes. That, yeah, Jesse. That uh, that's going to that's going to do it for the the fourth entry into the, the Story Club archive here. So we are going to get out of here and uh, we'll figure out what we're going to tackle next. Well, there you have it. That's the fourth entry into the Story Club archive. That was the Power of the Dog from Netflix. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. It sure was great to talk to people again. And if you enjoy the AIC Stories podcast experience yourself, consider helping out by sharing this review, sharing the podcast episodes you love, telling your friends about us and giving us a follow on social media. Of course, you can also come join us in the AIC Stories Discord and jump in on these conversations yourself. Now, if you want to say thanks and help keep the archive growing here at AIC Stories in a financial manner, you can always join us at buymeacoffee.com slash AIC Stories. The link is right at the main website, AICStories.com. Uh, Your support there goes directly to continue bringing you the content you love, as well as allowing me to keep growing and expanding that which is possible here in the AIC Stories universe. 
But no matter how you support AIC stories, be it financially, by leaving a review, sharing episodes, whatever it might be, I do greatly appreciate it. And I appreciate you spending some time with me each and every week. So as always, my friends, keep reading, keep listening, keep watching, and most of all, keep enjoying your stories. I'll see you soon.